0: The word evangelism excites some people and scares others. How do we understand evangelism today in light of our non-Christian neighbors who live right next door and who live lives of virtue? SMU professor Robert Hunt will be here with us to talk about just that and how we might think about it anew. Stay tuned for Good God. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and I'm delighted to welcome back to the program Robert Hunt. Robert, we're glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, Robert is uh, the Director of uh, Global Theological Education at SMU, Perkins School of Theology, and also the Director of the Center for Evangelism, and we're delighted to uh, pick up a conversation that we started in our last time. Last time uh, we talked, Robert, we were talking more specifically about the Methodist uh, situation, the cultural assumptions that have gone into understanding Methodists as a global church and the decisions that were made then uh, that have actually fractured the church and challenged the notion of a united Methodist church over uh, whether, Uh, same-gender marriage could be uh, blessed and whether uh, gay clergy could uh, be ordained and the like. Uh, But today I'd like us to talk a little more uh, specifically about the work you do in evangelism because it has a lot to do with this same question of culture. Right. So for many people who uh, grew up in evangelical uh, Christian culture, Evangelism has uh, 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 some connotations to it. Uh, I'll describe it this way. We have the full and complete truth in Jesus Christ, and it is our spiritual and moral responsibility to obey the Great Commission and take to every person, every ethnic group, every nation of the world, this good news to the end that they become followers of Jesus, they become Christians as well, regardless of their own faith tradition or the like, because Mm -hmm. ours is right and theirs is wrong. And therefore, when the world is fully Christianized or Jesus Mm -hmm. returns, whichever happens first, uh, then we will have succeeded in our mission. That has created for many people lots of cognitive dissonance because Mm -hmm. of the way the world has come to our back door. It was easier to do or think that maybe when we sent you to Malaysia as a missionary, right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe when a Malaysian neighbor moved in next door who is Muslim, we are a little less inclined. Right. So what's happening in evangelism now that, that we're wrestling to rethink uh, and try to get straight? What, what, what would you say?
1: Well, I think the first thing that, that's happening is that we're um, – a lot of the – A lot of the false ideas followed by romantic ideas Mm -hmm. of the missionary era, let us say the 19th and early 20th century, or Mm -hmm. even the 20th century. Um, we're realizing we're wrong and that's that then troubles our underlying presuppositions. Okay uh, The the first of those was simply that be that we have a natural virtue that comes to us as Christians that people in other Cultures didn't possess because they lack our Christianity. Okay. It didn't take long for missionaries to realize that that simply wasn't true mm-hmm. That there were virtuous people mm-hmm. who were not Christians. Yes, that, that virtue and Christianity didn't go together but uh, something a little broader than that that, that well Lacking Christianity and the West, they're they're kind of barbarians,
0: mm-hmm, right? Yes. Um, and then that slips too. Uh, yes. we so we're going to bring Western civilization exactly. to them. Which <laughs> it will will be good for them, and they just don't know it yet. Right. And that gets melded with the the Christian faith. Right. To the point where then that breaks down, and the problems <sighs> of Western civilization then become the problems for the church. Well, exactly. And we you
1: know we could say that the big the David Livingstone preached yes. a famous sermon mm-hmm. called "Christianity, Commerce, and Civilization." Yes, I believe in 1860 something. Yes, to the graduating class at Oxford. Yes, in which he said, "These are the three things that we are going to bring to benighted Africa." Yes, right. Well, um, by the end of World War One, mm-hmm. and certainly by the end of World War Two, with the Holocaust, it was absolutely clear that speaking of the superiority of Western civilization was going to be nonsensical to anybody outside the West. Yes. Okay, two vastly destructive wars Mm -hmm. simply didn't speak to some superiority of Western civilization or of Christian civilization. Yes, okay. So this puts us in a mode of rethinking Mm -hmm. already, Mm -hmm. of partnership, of dialogue, Mm -hmm. and added to that and specifically with regard to evangelism, is the idea that develops um, through the conversations of of interfaith Christian groups, let's just say ecumenical Christian groups, who begin to recognize that we need to speak about God's mission in the world and that God is always in mission in the world, Mm -hmm. the so-called missio dei. Yes. So that whatever we do in Christian mission and evangelism, we are
0: going and finding where God has already been at work. The church doesn't have a mission. God has a mission. God has a mission. And the church is simply catching up to God's mission.
1: That's right. Yes. And we do have our unique message, yes. by the way. We have, a, we have an absolutely uh, unique message and mm-hmm. one that we are morally obliged to a- share absolutely. with everyone. Yes. But we no longer do it in a kind of a vacuum, a, a, an imagined spiritual vacuum where yes. we bring something. Yes. God's there.
0: Yes. So that's gonna reform all of our ideas about evangelism. This is my father's world. The whole world is already God's. That's right. right. God has already claimed the whole world.
1: Well, God is already working in the whole world. Yes. And, and by the way, we find this in a, an amazing place in Amos chapter nine, for people who are interested in the Bible. Yes. Um, this is a section in Amos where, as usual, we have the sort of condemnations of the nations in yes. chapter eight. Mm-hmm. Ending, of course, with the condemnation of Israel. It's mm-hmm. so a sort of, oh, yeah, the nations are all really bad, and you are, too. Yes. Always good we for, are, <laughs> too. We are, too. Yes. yes. And then, then Amos attacks directly Israel's one claim to be unique. Well, God led us out of Egypt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Amos right. says, and God led the Hittites out of Kir. Wow. And God led the Philistines out Wow. God has been active in every human history. Yes. There's no uniqueness I have to to the go fact back
0: to read Amos. That's very, I think I it's think it's
1: worth reading. Yes. And then of course when we get into the New Testament,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what we discover is phrases like Jesus meeting someone and saying, "I have not found faith like this in Israel." Yes. Jesus meets people who are faithful who have never met Jesus. Yes. Okay. Now, when we keep that in mind, then that's going to change our outlook on evangelism mm-hmm. because we're going to go into a situation asking not um, or not beginning with the idea that we have the truth and we must impart it, we begin with the idea that we are here to learn what God has done among you
0: mm-hmm.
1: We have something to say too
0: mm-hmm.
1: right but this is dialogical now, yes, this is dialogical
0: mm-hmm.
1: and When we can do that, I believe we can move away from the idea that the the implicit idea that evangelism is getting people to join our team. Yes. And move to the idea that evangelism is opening the door for people to enter into a relationship with God through Christ. Yes. The form of that relationship, the affiliations that will form out of that relationship, are not something we can determine. We have something to offer, a community of faith. Yes, okay. a church, a church. and And that church should be open to right. everybody. Right. Uh, my experience is there are people who need it, Yes, okay? But I'm not in a position to judge people who say, "You know, I think what you are telling me about is a truth I already know about." Ah. Um I feel like a redeemed person. Yes, I feel like a person who lives in the ambit of God's love. Within my religious tradition and
0: culture. And this is problematic for the way we have taught evangelism. Right. Because much of our assumption is Mm -hmm. that the first thing we need to do is to explain to people how uh, alienated from God they are Mm -hmm. to begin with. Yeah. To help them understand their sinfulness and that that sinfulness has created an ontological distance <laughs> right. between themselves and God, we'll call it relational, that has eternal consequences to right. it. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing about the good news that we have to share is the bad news about who you are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's a, a, a kind of a oddness to that, I think, when you Start to reflect about right. uh, how it would be that God is already at work in the world. his every mm-hmm. human being is created in the image and right. likeness of God, and God is at work everywhere. And yet, mm-hmm. our first <laughs> word has to be to reinforce uh, the, the, the the problem in order to then hold up the solution. Right. Well, and I would say
1: the problem in our terms. Ah. Yes. Okay. okay. Right. Um, you know, sin as opposed to law. Yes. Right. Right. The uh, one of the interesting things about working in Asia mm-hmm. is, I would say, um, and and in Austria as well, the the idea of feeling alienated, alienated from transcendent meaning, yes. alienated from a sense of purpose in life. This sense of of alienation is something that is a pretty universal characteristic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. But the way in which it's framed in different cultures is different. Mm-hmm. And in some, some cultures that framing um, may be so close to a Christian framing that our preaching of this sort of law and gospel makes perfect sense almost instantly. Yes, okay. Um, in other cultures, it will sound similar but actually be different. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in other cultures, it will be completely different. Right. And one of, our, one of the questions is, then we ask as an evangelist as a practical matter is, what does the redemption one in Jesus Christ mean for people whose understanding of alienation is different than ours? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Does it mean they have to come and see things the way we see things about their alienation?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or is it possible that the redemption one in Jesus Christ is so universal mm-hmm. that it actually addresses their sense of alienation where it is? Yes.
0: No. So we have to actually understand their sense of alienation before actually, we can actually exactly. hope to offer something. Exactly. We have yes. to enter into a dialogue with them. Yes. And what's
1: interesting when this happens is, of course, we may learn something about our own sense of alienation ah, that we right. didn't know. Right. We may discover that there are depths to what God does for us in Jesus Christ that we haven't recognized earlier. Yes. Very good. Um, So that in in the process of evangelism, we, in some sense, become evangelized. Yes. And that that critical dual process, Mm -hmm. I think, is the only thing that can give this integrity. Yes. And then also to recognize that The evangelist never evangelizes. The Spirit of Christ evangelizes. Okay, good. Right, right. Right. The Spirit of Christ is going to move where it will and how it will and in what ways it will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this gets us back to the we don't form teams. Yes. Right. 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 You know, too much of evangelism is based on church growth. Our 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 united Methodist discussion has been fraught Mm -hmm. because both sides claim that either history is on their side or they have the more rapidly growing churches. Yes. Well that right. proves nothing Yes. right okay um it's it's pretty pretty u- useful to remember in the first couple of hundred years of Christianity at the T that the surest sign that you had gotten it right was that you were dead
0: <laughs> that's um, right we celebrate okay. the christian martyrs in, we in celebrate the christian
1: martyrs Yes. look by by modern standards the 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 American Methodist mission to China mm-hmm. to Fuchow, China, yes, okay, if it had been in a contemporary American United Methodist setting, they would've pulled the plug before the first convert. It's a bad business model. No. Yeah. There were more <laughs> missionaries that died in China yes. than there were converts in the first 15 years. There you go. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Right. Well, does that prove that they were wrong, that they weren't evangelical, right. that they didn't have orthodox Christian beliefs? Yes. Of course not. Right. They were by every modern standard fundamentalists. Yes, right. <laughs> right? right. <laughs> we didn't have any progressives back then (laughs) right right so that that kind of language proves nothing
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, the nor i'm am i sure is there any human judgment that can be brought to bear on what constitutes success or failure yes the only human judgment is the one that we bring to bear on ourselves which is have i been faithful Mm -hmm. lovely Yes. Okay. Lovely. That's the only question is, have I been faithful? If I have been faithful, God will take care of the rest. And this is what Paul brings up when he says, you know, I I watered, I I planted, Apollos watered. Somebody else could see the return. Right. Right. This concern is to be faithful.
0: That's right. Exactly. Well, let's let's pick that up when we come back because I want to talk a little more about the dialogical aspect of this and your uh, work in Uh, with the uh, Parliament of Religions and with the conversations with other uh, faith traditions as well. Uh, And I I think there's a lot to be learned about that. Let's uh, take a break. Thanks. Okay. Thank you for continuing to tune in to Good God. This program is available, as many of you already know, in various formats. You can take it as a podcast that uh, is delivered to all the places you would go, whether Apple Podcasts or uh, Google Play, uh, and and you can hear it weekly and you can subscribe to it. A new episode drops every Thursday morning, and so we invite you to do that and subscribe. Uh, You can also find the video format in various places on the Facebook page where we invite you to like Good God Uh, You can also find it on YouTube and on VocalNow, V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com, VocalNow. Uh, So these are various places you can go. I'd also want to tell you that you can go to the website. That's www.goodgodproject.com, goodgodproject.com. And there you can find an archive of all of our previous episodes. If you like what you hear on any given week, you might actually uh, like to have a transcript of the conversation. And if you go to the website, goodgodproject.com, you can find a transcript there also uh, where you can cut and paste and uh, use uh, what's been said in that conversation. Uh, So we'd invite you to find various ways to continue to tune in and to enjoy these conversations. One special thing I wanna say is thank you to the friends of this program who have contributed financially to make it possible for us to do this without inviting you to have to give. Uh, We're grateful for the support of friends of this program and I hope that you will be too. Please tell your friends about Good God and continue to tune in. Thanks for being part of it. We're back with Robert Hunt, and Robert, we were talking about evangelism in a dialogical way. That is to say, now we don't view that everyone outside of our faith tradition is uh, simply a blank slate waiting for us to write the good news upon them, but rather they are already subject to the work of God somehow in their lives, Mm -hmm. sometimes that uh, has taken a particular religious form. In fact, right. sometimes it's uh, uh, Muslim, and sometimes Buddhist, and sometimes right. uh, Jewish, and other kind of uh, of ways that are non-Christian. So you have been at work with uh, the Parliament of World Religions Mm -hmm. on the one hand, uh, lots of conversation among uh, religious leaders uh, from different faith traditions. Here in Dallas, uh, you show up with Thanksgiving Square and uh, the World Affairs Council and Faith Forward Dallas at Thanksgiving Square, where we have a real multi-faith environment. How do you speak to your Christian tradition about what is to be valued in these conversations and and, and not simply um, say to them that we are in a sense forfeiting our evangelistic right. aim mm-hmm. by entering into dialogue as if entering into dialogue is an alternative to evangelism.
1: Right, um, well I think that's a good question. I'll go back to something I, I, I said earlier which is, We really have to recognize and this is just logical Mm -hmm. that what has been revealed to us in jesus christ is sufficient for our salvation and knowledge of god but it is not complete okay and it really cannot be complete if you
0: think about it we have a limited slice of history and we have limited human brains and and the risen christ is still at work in the world and god continues to reveal to us Even as Jesus said, I'm sending you the Spirit, more things than you can bear today, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the plenitude of this actually is
1: written into Scripture. Yes. Um, Jesus and John, but of course at the end of John, Mm -hmm. you know, I suppose if we were to write everything that He has done, all the books in the world would not contain them. That's right. That clearly suggests that not only do we need big libraries, but we ought to read other books. Uh Aha. Right? Right? -hmm. I think that that begins us as the dialogical process.. Yes. We, we don't begin a dialogical process because we've somehow caved in on the truth we know in Jesus Christ. Right. We begin the dialogical process out of the absolute conviction that God still has things to teach us. Good, OK? okay. And that we still need to learn them. yes. And so we, we, if we start the process that way, I think it, it begins to have some integrity, and our neighbors respect that. mm-hmm. Uh, They respect that we know something true, we Mm -hmm. want to share that. That we also want to listen because we know they know something true as well. Yes. Now, the purposes of those dialogues are manifold. Mm -hmm. Um, I still remain convinced that there is a strong place for a personal evangelistic dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I, I tell my students this, I'm not a universalist in the sense that I can just let go and say, well, God will take
0: care of everything. And all roads lead to God, regardless of what you believe, it doesn't make any difference, that, that sort of thing. Well, that's, that yeah. to me is a nonsensical belief. Yes, okay. Okay? Um,
1: God may draw everyone to God's self, mm-hmm. as Christ does upon the cross, John, mm-hmm. right? Yes. yes. But we cannot assume that every human path leads to God. Yes. And that's just on the basis of our own personal human experience. We, right. Right. We're pretty capable of running away from God. Right. right. And we shouldn't assume that if we're capable of it, others aren't as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay? on the other hand i can't really discern right um so i would say in this in this sense uh i'm agnostic toward whether someone has the possibility of reaching god on the road they're on yes as we sit here if someone is going down mockingbird lane in the westward direction and they stop and say i'm on my way to love field i would say absolutely right keep going right if it happens that they cross us on Abrams Road and say, "Am I on my way to Love Field?" I could say, "I doubt it, but if you took a right turn at the right place, yes, you might." Yes. If they're going the other way, east on Mockingbird, yeah, I'd have to say, "I don't think you're going to get there." But the world is round. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> that's beautiful. I can't. That's good. I can't say that I would advise you in this direction, but I, yes. I'm, I'm. I can't okay. tell you you'll never get there. I see. Yes. So So. Um, there is a place for this individual conversation. Yes. In those individual conversations, I think there are some people who will say, "You know, I I don't think I'm on the right road." Yes. You know, from for your talking and my talking, I think I see something that is attractive to me. Yes. That makes me want to be part of a community to explore that more. Mm-hmm. And I, I always think of the church as the evangelizing community. Mm-hmm. Um, come in and see if you you want to join the road that we're on. Yes. Right, as opposed to just an individual mm-hmm. making decision. Um, and I, I say this with some firmness because I don't want to be I don't want anyone to think that we can dismiss evangelism of this sort. Yes. Individuals need to make decisions. And I've, I've, I say this to my classes, they don't always like it. I have baptized Muslims yes. who became Christian. Yes. I've baptized Buddhists that became Christian. I've yes. baptized Hindus that became Christian. Mm-hmm. Most of my students for many years were converts to Christianity. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to dismiss their experience. Right. They did give up their families yes. for this. Yes. That's critical to know. Yes. At the same time, I cannot on the basis of their experience mm-hmm. Generalize to every human being in the world. Yes, and say you need to follow that path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I can say is, you have been redeemed by God in Jesus Christ. Right, mm-hmm. that's good news. Yes, that's good news. If you say to me, I already knew that. Mm-hmm. I knew it in a different way. I knew it in a different form. Mm-hmm. Right, or. I believe that my religious tradition is leading me closer and closer to God, and therefore I want to stay within that discipline and that community. Then all I can do is respect that. Yes, you have made that judgment. I just don't think that God has given me that window of knowledge.
0: Um, but you have now you've now talked about this in a way that I think is is interesting. When we think about the the classical three, uh, ideas of goodness truth and beauty right what i what i heard you talking about uh, a lot was language of drawing being attracted to right this this has more of an aesthetic character to it yes. there is a sense of god calling people to a beautiful life to a, yeah. a, a an experience of uh, that, that is more about wonder than a concession to an idea. Yeah. And and so there, there, there is a lacking, I think, in the tradition of evangelism that I uh, think a lot of people have known right. of, of acknowledgement of how God works through that sort of um, drawing into a, a beautiful experience of life, uh, a leading to a goodness as well, a kind of way of life that is good. In favor of instead, always trying to prove propositionally that something is true that you assent to. Absolutely. The greatest, the most
1: dolorous effect of the Enlightenment was to Mm -hmm. separate truth from beauty. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. This would be unimaginable in Greek culture. Yes. Or the culture of Jesus' time. Right. Okay. Things that are true are beautiful. Mm -hmm. Things Mm -hmm. that are beautiful are almost always true. Yeah, this is Keats' poetry, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. And uh, we we need to recognize that. So when we see a beautiful life, yes. Okay. Then we we're, we're seeing there's something true there. Yes. And uh, I think that liberates us mm-hmm. some, mm-hmm. because it means that one there's a whole new realm of evangelism, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is the realm of putting, I would say, decisive and decision forcing beauty in front of people. Lovely. Um, I think this was the genius actually of uh, the inklings of C.S. Lewis and Charles Williams right, and um, right. J.R.R. Tolkien yes. is that they could create works that were beautiful, literary works, mm-hmm. but would be thoroughly evangelistic Yes, because they would draw someone into a world mm-hmm. and then they would lead a person in the classic way through an understanding of crisis and decision.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay and that um, that idea in those literary forms in poetry, in any kind of excellent art, yes. right um, has, is evangelistic right. In, a, in a genuine sense it's evangelistic mm-hmm. it's converting mm-hmm. and and we need to therefore be much more attentive to this uh it's It's quite possible that uh, that a brandy Carlyle song mm-hmm. like the uh uh, the fool, I think, um, will will play an evangelistic role. Right. Uh, or I always think of a Mary Chapin Carpenter song. One line of which is, "I will serve the beauty, but not the truth." Wow. Now, she's she's talking about lost love. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So the truth is, we're not together. Yes. The beauty is, we were in love. Wow. So which of those is going to be the determinative factor? Mm. Right. You see? Right. Right. Um, so I think. I think this aesthetic uh, sensibility is absolutely on the association of of goodness with beauty Mm -hmm. and truth. If we can hold the three together, then we're well on our way to having a useful dialogue. If we separate out truth into a set of propositions in a sort of enlightenment way Mm -hmm. and say, oh, I assent to these and therefore I'm in, or I fail to assent and therefore I'm out, then I think we've hit a dead end and we will inevitably
0: decline and wither spiritually. Well, I think this is where we have been recently in witnessing the capitulation of uh, much of evangelical Christianity in America mm-hmm. to the political culture of, right. uh, of, of power uh, where uh, the separation of believing the right things over here right. gives you permission then to promote a, a way of life that is abhorrent to the gospel that you claim right. to to preach, uh, and so uh, that's where many people are falling out with the church today over that uh, the the cleft between uh, this, on the one hand, claims of truth, and on the other hand, a kind of um, unattractive life, you might say. Yeah. Well, it's an ugly life.
1: It is an ugly life. Yeah. It's an ugly life, right. um, and I think this is—you know—people are repelled by the ugliness yes. that they see, right. um, and, and justifiably so. Uh, it's what's most unfortunate is when that ugliness finds its way into the church. Yes, um, and and we have an ugly church. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. No one's going to come in. Uh, the the yeah. um, and we're un- unfortunately. Uh, all of us who are Protestants, to some degree, some more than others, mm-hmm. okay, are inheritors of an iconoclasticism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was rebellion against uh, Roman Catholicism, right? that led to something sparse and spare i'm not to say ugly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but sometimes the sparsity the, the clean altar so there's no hint of idolatry the mm-hmm. lack of even a cross mm-hmm. you know the old vermont church that we used to go to with my uncle when we went on holiday where you mm-hmm. know, oh my gosh yes well that actually represented a certain aesthetic in its time mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. but it eventually becomes a kind of a negative theology right, right where anything beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, ornate, florid is wrong. Yes. And then we're cut down to bare propositions, Yes, right? Mm-hmm. Again, this sort of dis- mm-hmm. equations are the truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that, um, that is repellent to people. And we see some evidence that, that the so-called millennial generation is actually attracted to aesthetically pleasing worship, yes. um, as opposed to sort of
0: spare bare bones. Uh, or performance uh, worship. Uh, yeah. You know the spare bare bones on the one hand, or the uh, the, the, the great entertainment culture on the other, which right. they can get on their own. They don't need the church to do that for them.
1: Yeah, there's nothing when there's yeah. nothing distinctive. That's right. Right. Um, yes. When our praise music sounds like Celine Dion just Jesus, right? Then, uh, right? Then we have not actually adequately separated our aesthetic. Mm-hmm from a worldly aesthetic. And there's a difference.
0: There really is. Well, Robert, yeah. thank you for raising all of these uh, ideas to us and, and challenging us to put them all together. Sure, uh, We're grateful for your work and for your being <laughs> here in Dallas. And thank you for being on Good God. Happy to be here. Thank, thank you very much. Terrific. All right. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White, guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material
1: copyright 2019 by Faith Commons.